Welcome to Doc9 Tech Talks. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Lusted. I'm Managing Director of Doc9, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Gareth Narainsingh, who is Commercial Director at Yoti, to discuss digital identification. Yoti is a company we've kept a keen eye on in recent years in the emerging digital ID space, and I saw they recently launched an initiative focused on helping financial services companies adopt the technology. So a perfect time to get them on the podcast to explore this topic in a bit more detail. So Gareth, thanks for joining us. Do you want to start by giving us a bit of a background about yourself and Yoti? Yeah, uh, thank you, Mark, and good morning to you. Good morning to everyone listening to this. Um, my name's Gareth. Uh, I'm Commercial Director for Financial Services at Yoti. Yoti is a digital identity platform. Um, we are one of actually many players within this niche technology space. Um, but I like to think that Yoti has a USP, and that is we are promoting uh, the use of portable and reusable digital identity mm -hmm. uh, for you know consumers um, all over the world. It's free to use. Um, we give everybody the right, everybody in the world the right to own their digital identity on their phone through our Yoti app. Um, and we have a network base of about 7 million global users at the moment, of which approximately 1.5 million in the UK. Great, so you've got a great, great week already. Um, do you want to start for those that aren't familiar with the, with the concept of digital ID, just giving an overview of you know, the, the concept? Yeah, so um, when, when you think about... Um, uh, every time you go to a hotel to check in, um, you have to give your passport and the person over the other side takes a copy of your passport and holds that record. And um, you don't know what they've done to that. You don't know how long they're holding it for. You really don't know what happens to that photocopy at all. Mm. And um, if you're like me, then that's a bit of a concern because quite frankly, you know, I, 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 I'm quite protective about my personal information. Mm -hmm. um, I like to know that, you know, my personal information is being treated um, with the privacy and security that it, that it requires. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, those paper-based systems don't really work. Mm -hmm. So I'm now in the dark as to where my details are, who's got access to them, and in fact, you know, whether there's an impersonation risk out there. I'm sure many people have had... Um, the unfortunate circumstance of waking up to find that you know someone's got access to their email or access to their bank account. Digital identity uh, promotes the use of private and secure use of your personal information. So, uh, for example, the Yoti app, it's free to download. Um, you onboard with Yoti once and once only, and we prove that you are a real person and that you're the person who you say you are. And once you have um, been given your Yoti, because Yoti has assured uh, that you are a verified person, you have a verified identity, you can then take your identity on your phone and share that through digital means with whomever you want uh, and whomever actually uh, chooses to trust that Yoti has done their job properly. So use cases are um, many, really, across the private and public sector. Yoti is predominantly focused on private sector, but we have relationships with um, two governments, okay. in particular the states of Jersey and the Scottish Improvement Services. Mm -hmm. um, whereby, you, know, you can use your Yoti to file an online tax form, for example, 
will get access to uh, local authorities' services. But in the private sector, we're working really with um, financial services firms uh, to use your personal information for KYC onboarding. So that's um, through electronic KYC. Also, we're pretty good, big in crypto gaming and gambling. Um, okay. All sectors now fall under the money laundering uh, directive. Mm-hmm. So they have um, obligations, regulatory requirements in that regard. Um, also through things like um, retail, so for age verification mm-hmm. of goods and um, airports and borders. So we've been working with um, some pretty major airports around the world, particularly in the UK actually, uh, for the, to prove the concept of seamless travel where you can check in with your Yoti and you can walk through the airport onto a flight without having to get your passport out, but simply using facial recognition um, because you've checked in that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of really exciting use cases spanning lots of different industries. Yeah. Um, I think the digital identity is still quite um, nascent globally, but actually people have become a lot more aware of it um, and are moving from you know, beyond exploration into understanding how to procure such services. Mm. I think you know, those that have dipped the toes in uh, signing up for accounts with challenger banks or even, you know, you mentioned crypto, Coinbase or similar, have gone through that process of you know, holding up your driving license or passport and then you know, doing the facial recognition, moving your head and, uh, and that process. And I think a lot of the, most of the tools have similar functionality, right? That's the kind of foundation of your technology. So we've become akin to opening up a bank account with the likes of Monzo or Revolut um, and you find yourself in that generation whereby you want to transact and do most of your activities on your phone, mm. um, then you'll be already familiar with digital identity, whether you know of it as a term or not. Mm. And I think this is what that particular generation has come to expect now. Yeah. So they expect more services to be performed digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily have to want to walk down to a branch or a peer um, or make an appointment to do something face to face. It can all be done digitally. And the key to that is unlocking um, the verified identity of that individual. Yes, yeah. Cool. So you mentioned, I think you said 7 million uh, users at the moment of, of the app you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess most of those aren't even in financial service applications at the moment. So before we move on to financial services, I'd be really interested actually to hear a little bit more around the Jersey case study, which you mentioned so, uh, uh, in the Channel Islands. So what, what's the usage in Jersey of the OT? What's the kind of real world kind of use cases? Well, if you, um, if, if you actually go to Jersey right now, you, you'll see the Yoti um, sticker in most convenience stores and supermarkets. And that's principally because Yoti is being used to age verify someone. Mm-hmm. So again, we'll come back to you know, privacy of information. Um, if I went to go to um, you know, a supermarket to buy alcohol or tobacco or energy drinks, um, you know, th- these are age-restricted goods. And so um, the first issue is that, um, you know, when I get to the checkout, um, somebody has to be looking at my ID mm-hmm. and I can show them my ID. And to be honest, you know, unfortunately, you can purchase really good, sophisticated fake ID documents for not a lot of money these days. You, know, you can go to the web or the dark web and you can buy something very good. Um, and if you're not trained to look at that document, then you're not understanding, you know, the security features, you can't see signs of tampering. Um, It's kind of like um, you need specific training to be able to do that. So Yoti takes that off the hands of the person at the till or the checkout 
Um, so we, we make sure that, you know, we, we verify that person according to their government issued photo ID. Mm -hmm. The second point is that if I do have to go to check out and show you my ID, I'm actually giving away more information than I really ought to. You don't need to know my name, my um, address, mm. you don't need to know my passport number, you don't even know, need to know my date of birth. All you need to know is that I am over the age of 18 or 16. And so the OT app works in that way. So when we integrate with the, as we call the relying party, the relying party can actually set, as part of their kind of setup, you know, what information they're asking for. And according to GDPR, you are only supposed to be asking for minimal data. Mm -hmm. So actually, I don't need to know your name. I just need to know that you are over the age of 16 to buy this energy drink. Mm -hmm. And indeed, that is what the user is then sharing. It's a credential that says I'm over the age of 16. Mm -hmm. And as long as there's trust in the system and trust in the digital identity platform and uh, the way that Yoti, um, uh, the methodology Yoti applies to verifying an identity, mm -hmm. then it's very it's very quick convenient uh, for both the user and the retailer mm. um, but just coming back to to Jersey again so we've been procured by the, uh, the states of Jersey government and um, we believe that something like about 30,000 people in Jersey now have the OT app so it's a great proof of concept for us and um, the most recent utility that we gave Jersey based um, residents uh, is to file their online tax reforms so um, mm very important utility there. Cool, sounds like a good good uh, early success story. So I guess if we focus in on the financial services sector, that, that last point kind of highlights the kind of second use case. I think the obvious use case is around onboarding new customers uh, and I think your product also uh, combines it with automated KYC, AML check, sanction search, etc. Uh, and as mentioned earlier, many challenger banks have adopted this technology. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the second use case is probably around ongoing authentication. So when users log into portals or want to make a payment or etc. And, and really around minimizing fraud. What yeah. do you think the opportunities are within financial services? Um, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't really often like to sort of spout statistics, but um, there was a, a paper last year that McKinsey released and suggested that by 2024, uh, digital identity was going to be a hundred billion dollar industry globally. Um, and I think that's, you know, as, as more people become, um, you know, attached to their phones, more people rely upon the internet and apps to, you know, go about their way of life. And I think of that hundred billion, they attributed something like $25 billion of that to financial services. So um, there is an unprecedented um, potential to kind of tap into that particular market which is starting to wake up um mm. actual services um you know hasn't until recently been known for um you know its sophistication in terms of technology but the um the way forward is being um pretty much forged by the fintech so the fintechs have to kind of explore a different way of doing things um they need to adopt different solutions to deliver better customer experience better ux mm -hmm. and deliver customer acquisition strategies and they're doing that through digital identity. Mm. What we find is that most uh, fintechs rely upon um, the concept of embedded white label digital identity. So they take the technology from a third party provider and they plug it into their back end. Mm. So I come to your portal and I can do my digital identity and verify myself through you. But if I wanted to do that through the next fintech or the next service provider, yeah. I can do the whole thing again which is a little bit kind of frustrating for the user because it means that, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm having to prove myself time and time again. 
Yeah. So Yoti is championing this concept of portable reusable digital identity. Mm-hmm. You download the Yoti app once and that's it. And then all you have to do is share your credentials with the relying party. And that can be done very simply through um, scanning a QR code and consenting to share the information that's requested. Okay. And that share is um, automated, it's automatic, mm-hmm. it's in real time. And I could be sort of onboarded, you know, in a fraction of a second rather than have to sort of complete my details time and time again. So we're using that as the basis for EKYC. So um, obviously, identity verification is an integral part of that. But actually, you need to then do a lot more work, um, such as, you know, due diligence. Do I appear on a PEPS list, a sanctions list? Do I appear on adverse media? Do I have any flawed indicators against my verified identity? Yeah, so Yoda's plugging in an engine in the background that says, right, once we know who you are, let's find out as much as we can about you. And once we've kind of found out as much as we can about you, let's put it through a risk assessment engine and deliver out an outcome. So am I low risk, medium risk, high risk? And clearly those risk indicators are uh, developed in, in tandem with the relying parties. So the bank will obviously make sure that their uh, risk appetite and thresholds are being met. Accordingly, but we can in real time from the verified identity deliver a risk assessment of that individual through our plugins with various other API sources. So that makes it a very compelling use case for EKYC. That means that you know, once I've done that, I can just do it again and again and again for insurance, credit cards, loans, yeah. mortgages as well, which I know we'll come on to. Yeah. Um, but I'd just like to cover the point about authentication because that kind of sits side by side with our solution. So once you know who I am because I've onboarded with you through my Yoti app, well, actually, I can use my Yoti app to come back to you to reauthenticate myself. Mm. So it can does away with this concept of username password. I mm. simply scan a QR code to say that I'm a returning customer, i.e. logging into my online banking, yeah. show my face to the camera, and you know, kind of it, it authenticates me through my facial biometric. Mm. Um, it, you know, for a lot of people, maybe listening to this podcast, that may sound like a work of science fiction, but, you know, I can assure you it's technology which is here today. It's being deployed today. And, um, you know, we really want to see more firms move towards this because it completely mitigates the risk of account takeover. Yes. I think that's a really interesting point that, you know, I think the benefits are clear for users, you know, much better user experience, faster. Uh, the benefits are clear for for businesses, you're kind of minimizing risk of fraud and, and having a smoother process and you know delivering great UX is also a good competitive advantage as well. So aside from challenger banks, why do you think the industry has been you know relatively slow to adopt this technology up until now? Um, well, that, that's, that's a great question. And I think the answer is quite straightforward because um, most of the buyers of this technology um, tend to be compliance officers or MLROs, and they at least have a decisive stake in um, you know, making the decision to uh, deploy digital identity technology. And I guess their concern is that, you know, is it fit for, um, you know, does it meet the regulatory requirements? What does the regulator think about that? And I think that up until last year, that was a very um, interesting point to debate. Mm. I think it's a lot clearer since January the 10th. So since January 10th, um, we've had the transposition of the Fifth Money Laundering Directive um, into UK law. Mm-hmm. And the first time ever we saw in the Money Laundering Directives uh, prescriptive 
um, for, it supports use of digital identity platforms as third-party vendor solutions. Yeah. We now we then look to March 2020, mm -hmm. and uh, FATF released uh, a, a very important paper on digital identity. It's so, uh, about a 120-page exploration of digital identity and what it means for financial services. And we saw there that you know they are advocating the use of digital identity. Mm -hmm. um, we then most recently, uh, in, in the month of June, had the republication of the JMLSG guidance. Mm -hmm. So that's a money laundering steering group and that's a really um, crucial uh, bit of legislation for, for the banks because that's what they look to for best recommendation advice on practices to do with anti-money laundering mm. and that for the first time now prescribes digital identity platforms and the use of sophisticated anti-fraud techniques that mm -hmm. these digital identity platforms deploy and we are now kind of basically provided for within the fifth money laundering directive recommended by FATF and now we have a place in the JMLSG. So I think in, in terms of the regulatory requirements, mm -hmm. you know, we are there, that, that's no longer a point of debate. Okay. I think the, the second point to that, and probably this is something where that we need to work with firms a little bit more closely on is, you know, where digital identity sits with overall digital transformation. Mm -hmm. It's fair to say we can't just plug and play with digital identity. We need to be able to consume the identity data that needs to be consumed within the, the bank's overall architecture. Um, whether it's a speedy CRM tool or the compliance workflow. And I think, you know, firms who are on that journey mm. and who are interested in digital identity need to figure out how to use digital identity mm. and where it goes to within their system, yeah. plumbing it in, so to speak. Yeah. Um, that's been the, the, the main challenge to adoption. Mm -hmm. mm. That's interesting. I mean, your, your APIs and your competitors that we've looked at, you know, fundamentally using your APIs is, you know, it's not a complicated task, but as actually, as you say, plugging that in and working out the workflow within the institution and how that fits. And, you know, there's regulatory, uh, it seems like there's, you know, some barriers that are coming down from a regulatory point of view. Something we've also heard uh, uh, is around some concerns around standardization, I guess, because, you know, there's a couple of players in the market, uh, you're, you're one. And I think your model is slightly different from what we've seen in that the idea of the portable portable uh, ID uh, central you know, authentication is a bit different from some, some competitors. But fundamentally, if we look at something like um, in the mortgage sector, which we do a lot of work in, for example, the broker, lender, conveyancer, and, and you know, the different parties in the journey have to do their own ID checks. Uh, and, you know, from a regulatory point of view, and so the customer has to give the same ID again and again to different parties, which you know, often yeah. still paper-based. Do you see, I mean, the ideal journey would be you give it once at the beginning of the journey and that's passed on securely through tokens or similar later down to these other parties. Is there some form of standardization on the horizon and how do you see that kind of playing out? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question is there absolutely is. Mm -hmm. And if I'm to be asked, you know, what does, you know, that, particular kind of end-to-end -end journey looked like in two or three years time I, I, I think it'd be completely transformed mm -hmm. so I think it'd be completely transformed through the use of digital identity so I mean it's a, it's a real point of frustration for anybody you know who has to buy a house or sell a house and you know they're identifying themselves several times with the lender the conveyancer the solicitor the estate agent maybe the broker mm -hmm. and why can't we just join all that up and kind of do it once fit mm. uh, the purpose way that suits everybody's needs so that's exactly the use case that Yoti's working on at the moment okay um, we're working in the UK with um, one of the biggest um, 
um, consolidations of UK mortgage brokers. Okay. And um, they kind of sit um, with 90 lenders actually behind them. And they also work with a number of developers and estate agents. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for kind of, you know, the customer or, you know, the client to do, to do their identity verification and their um, mortgage agreement in principle in one fell swoop that everybody can then share with that information, which belongs to the individual. You know, it doesn't belong to the lender. It doesn't belong to the agent. It belongs to the individual. So that actually fits really nicely with the OT technology. So OT is an app, but actually underneath that, OT is a digital wallet. So um, we, can, we can put certain credentials into the wallet. It might be you know, your name. It might be your address. It might actually extend to kind of all kinds of other things, such as your university certificate, your medical records, right to stay, right to work, employer reference, etc. All these be issued into the wallet as credentials, as long as we trust in the issuing authority. So, what if we took that concept and applied the issuing of a credential into the wallet to say that I am Gareth. I've been background checked. I know who I am. And actually, I have an agreement in principle for a mortgage for up to £300,000. That's been done separately, independently, in a trusted way. Um, And we can sort of peel back the layers on that if you have time. But actually, I can then use those credentials in my digital world to share that once with the estate agent, again, with the mortgage broker, again, with the mortgage lender, so on and so forth. So it becomes a much more convenient way for me to transact and go through the various layers. Mm. And you know, that, that is what I think the market will move towards, simply because the technology is available, it's there, it's yeah. cheap. And um, I think above all of that, you know, it, it, it kind of puts the individual at the center of everything. You know, it, it means that they are kind of, you know, it's convenient for them and they're in control of the data in terms of privacy and security. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I think the, the concept, um, you know, I think we're both in, on the same page uh, in terms of the, the validity of the concept. If we think about another sort of furthering that standardization for a bit further along, so um, authentication uh, applications for gov.uk, for example, a few years ago, they wanted to kind of decentralize, I guess, and have sort of standards for different uh, identity providers, you know, there was Experian and a few others, uh, and that meant that there's a common set of standards that different providers would, would kind of meet and, you know, they could be used. Do you see anything coming in terms of, you know, from government regulators or other kind of more standardization between different identity providers as well? I, I do, and, you know, as a first point to start that, you know, that conversation off, um, you know, I think it's going to be really important down the line that we have a regulator for this industry. So the digital identity itself is not a regulated sector, but actually it's a supplier to many regulated sectors for you know, much of their regulatory work. So for onboarding customers, whether it's financial services, property, um, recruitment, um, law firms. So, you know, we are, we are a central vendor for many of those regulated sectors. So that itself, I think, you know, requires the government to think about a regulator for digital identity. Yeah. Digital identity platforms, there are probably two or three dozen globally, mm-hmm. all who do things in slightly nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. So you're right, that is where a standard needs to be brought in mm-hmm. to make sure that these guys are doing things to a certain level yeah. of assurance. And that is actually what, what we are seeing happening right now. So 
the government has released, uh, or government digital services have, have released a, a set of protocols called GPG45 mm -hmm. for identification and GPG44 for authentication. So mm -hmm. many of the digital identity platforms are looking at those standards and they're looking at what they need to build and what further capabilities they need to develop in order to live up to those standards. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we're in a very good place. Mm -hmm. We believe that meet those requirements of those standards in both 44 and 45 and um, we're waiting to understand the certification process around that so there will be a central accreditation certification around mm -hmm. um, GPG 44 and 45 mm -hmm. and uh, we hope that as soon as that that is released by government digital service or the cabinet office then we can sign up to that. Mm. It sounds like that could be you know the next big big driver really of adoption I think that, that would really take uh, Really yeah, forward. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's something which needs to filter through the system. So when I'm speaking to compliance officers at banks, they're, they're not asking me about GPG45. Yeah. They're asking me about how I verify an ID, and they're trying to understand my methodology and trying to see if that is fit for purpose, yeah. which is absolutely fine because in the in the event of no standards, mm. you know, the, the private sector will turn to the private sector for innovative solutions. Yeah, and that drives industry and that's a great thing and the UK is um, in a really good place in that in, in that regard yeah uh, but I think you, you're right in order to get trust it does require government standards to be set and met and accreditation and that way businesses can become a lot more trusting mm -hmm. in those identity platforms who have that accreditation yeah yeah that makes sense so I guess um, if you think about COVID-19 and the situation at the moment have you seen any kind of increased uptake in use of digital ID or at least discussions around digital ID at the moment? Um, yes, I mean, the answer is exponentially yes, because um, we were seeing an uptick in interest um, after, since January, really, from the mm. laundering directive. Mm. Um, we then saw, you know, firms who were kind of looking from the outside in and just asking questions and exploring, they really started to get interested. So we, you know, we're working on many, many proof of concepts at the moment, actually. Uh, which is a big change. It's a big step change from last year where we found ourselves really as a sales function educating and raising awareness of what we were doing. Yeah. This year, about kind of building stuff and, yes. and understanding what client requirements are and regulatory requirements that clients want to pass through to us. Mm -hmm. So actually, that, that is a big step change. Mm -hmm. um, I think COVID has really moved this front and centre for many firms who hadn't heard about digital identity or um Romy kind of had a very basic understanding of it that's been completely changed by COVID because I don't think the world is going to go back to the way in which it used to operate I think transactions and um you know registering for, for services is all going to be done pretty much exclusively online now mm. um and that is the direction of travel mm. and I think that will actually drive and shape the future mm. um so you know I, I think beyond you know just working with individual clients um, my view is that in the next three years um, maybe five years I think the internet will have a layer above it and that is before you get onto the internet you will need to verify who you are through digital identity at that point everything becomes that much more personalized for you you, know, you don't need to kind of then log into your Amazon account or your Netflix account you know it will already be there for you because you've yeah. gone through the layer and that layer I think will be based in biometric identity. Yeah. I don't think it'd be based on username, password or anything like that. I think it would be 
linked to your face or linked to some other means, um, but it will be, you know, inherency that will drive that. And it's going to be seamless and frictionless and really wonderful UX for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everyone's kind of recognised for a while now that the username password model of authentication you know, just doesn't really work for human beings, you know, to remember all these different variations, etc. Uh, so, you know, it seems like this, you know, it really could help. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, the days of one-time PIN, um, you know, one-time PINs can be intercepted, there's, you know, fraud, sophisticated fraud tactics. Um, as a second form of um, authentication, I, I think that needs to be done away with. I think it's moving much more towards use of place. Well, from a slightly selfish point of view, I live in the middle of the countryside. And I don't have much uh, phone reception. I often have these things where I have to like, get a text message. I think I wander around for 10 minutes around, around the village trying to get this pin and I run back and then it's expired. And uh, so I think that this type of technology, you know, from a selfish point of view, would make my... I'm not the first person to have um, sort of um, you know, reported that as being a, quite a frustration. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So we're nearly out of time today. Uh, you know, um, I think it'd be really good uh, if to end on. If you've got any advice for companies that are thinking about starting on this journey, you know, how would they make a start and approaching this? Sure. So um, I think if you are looking to procure digital identity, then you know, first of all, good for you because I think it's um, you know it's the way forward, and you know, I'm, I'm very glad that you might be thinking this. Secondly, I think you need to sort of understand the market. So, as I said before, there are many different providers of digital identity, all through who do things in a slightly different way. Mm. Some of them use data to verify the identity. So if I can build up as much data about you as possible, then I can authenticate who you are. Unfortunately, that leaves behind the 20% of people who are what we call thin file, who don't have records at the credit reference agencies. Uh, maybe those who've moved address in the last six months and that hasn't been updated at electoral roll, you're not going to get a verified identity through data. You are going to get 100% of digital identity verification through facial biometrics linked to passports or driving licenses or other government issued documents, which then have a photo that you can then match back to the face. So have a real think about and understand the digital identity platform that you're going to be using and the methods that they employ to verify the identity. Secondly, you'll need to think about where you are in terms of digital transformation. So it's very unlikely that you can simply just plug and play a digital identity platform. You need to think about the architecture of your systems and where your data goes to, to kind of know where and how to consume the digital identity attributes that you know, firms like Yoti can give you. Um, so for those firms transitioning from paper-based or manual-based, that's quite, challenge mm. and so um, to have a wider strategy for digital transformation which includes digital identity is going to be uh, really important. Mm. And the third thing to think about and this is quite an important point to think about is you know if you are falling under the senior manager's regime then there is a duty of care for one of the SNFs usually the responsibility for procurement. I don't know whether that's the chief information officer, the chief operating officer, possibly even the chief compliance officer but you need to do your homework and um, validate that the platform of choice is robust enough and good enough so that you can be held to, um, you know, if you are held to account by the regulator, mm. then you need to have the evidence to, to, to back yourself up in terms of the decision you made to deploy digital identity. So um, the senior managers regime in that regard um, really has focused minds in many ways, but specifically for the procurement third-party vendors, particularly technology providers. 
people. And I guess going back to our sort of conversation earlier, that when that standardization and, and you know uh, starts to happen, that, that should kind of accelerate those you know, de-risk, I guess, that from a lot of companies. Um, yeah, we're not far away from that. We're probably a good six months away from that. Sounds really positive. And yeah, that, I think that was great food for thought for everyone and a good uh, explainable digital ID and, and Yoti. Uh, we'll certainly be keeping a close eye on uh, your upcoming developments in financial services and you know, perhaps we'll have the opportunity to work together as well. Um, so yeah, just, just to wrap up, thanks a lot for your time today and um, we'll catch up hopefully soon. Excellent. Wonderful to talk to you, Mark. Thank you.